joining me on the line once again for our Friday symposium is Dr. Graham Pinn. Graham is not a physicist, but a physician who has an interest in radiation-related illnesses. He's worked in the Royal Air Force, where his part-time role was as a radiation safety officer before overseas aid projects in several countries, uh, including here in Australia. We're going to start by unpacking climate change, which, in my opinion, is one of the greatest hoaxes that's ever been perpetrated on mankind. It's become an ideological weapon for a, a disillusioned subsection of Western society who have seemingly become pathologically preoccupied with gloom, doom and misanthropy. And perhaps the most alarming event is this willing participation in the denigration of, of liberty. I see climate change as another ideological force that is simply going to curtail uh, our, our God-given liberties. Graham, where do you sit with climate change? What's your take on all this? Nick, I'm on your side of the fence, and uh, we discussed briefly last week the the uh, control that um, is progressively being put on freedom of speech by the powers that be who know better. And this is yet another aspect of life whereby um, anybody who questions the uh, perceived wisdom is uh, shouted down. Sometimes they are threatened by job losses. And <clears throat> this is not the way to address a, uh, a debate. A, a debate should be about discussing both sides of the argument rather than uh, shooting the messenger whose views you disagree with. Now, I, <clears throat> I've um, been looking at this problem for a long time. And um, like yourself, I, I, I find the um, overwhelming sort of concepts that the science is settled and that all all are in agreement on this t totally uh, misleading and incorrect and all you really have to do I think to start questioning the current wisdom is is to look back into history and again we've discussed this on several occasions how history um, tells you what's happened in the past and is quite likely to tell you what's happening and going to happen in the future as well this is no small example and if you look um uh, the records are there, not written records, but the records are there in <clears throat> in sedimentary rock, in tree rings, in ice core samples to give us the history of the planet over lengthy periods of time and <clears throat> dispute some of the fundamental points. Firstly, that um, this is the hottest that the planet has ever been. That's obviously totally wrong. Secondly, that... Um, carbon dioxide is causing this warming and if you look through the historic records uh, particularly with ice core samples which you can actually measure carbon dioxide you will see that carbon dioxide levels have fluctuated enormously and have reached far higher levels than they are now and interestingly it seems that rather than preceding global warming they actually follow it so again there's no historical connection between the two there's no wisdom and no debate and the cohort of people that are, are pushing the alarmism around climate change are certainly not interested in debate and that's why they've invented one of the most sophisticated platitudes that you could really come, come up with which is that 97% of scientists agree and this started in I think 2013 because if you remember uh, Obama tweeted that 97% of scientists agree, hashtag climate change is real, man-made, 
and dangerous. Uh, a year later, John Kerry said that 97% of the world's scientists tell us that this is urgent. However, there's more to it than this. This is a very, very deceptive piece of um, statistics, unethical statistics. Yes, I mean, uh, when you actually look at the uh, uh, survey that's uh, regularly misquoted, what you discover is that a group of climate scientists who agree with the uh, current uh, wisdom wrote to each other and asked them to um, ask each other to verify their own um, writings, which have been already been published, and, and confirm that they still agreed with what they wrote whenever it was before. So this was a select group who were already in the club, if you like, who were authenticating their own um, um, view of what was happening, ignoring a, a vast mass of information. And if you actually, um, if you're going to the scientific thing, did you ever come across something called Climate Gate, Nick, in your travels? It's a, it's an interesting phenomenon. If not, um, it, this happened uh, 2009, I think it was. Um, and uh, so there was a 10-year anniversary of it um, the year before last. And this um, was a hacking that took place of climate change records for the two major centres, uh, one in the UK and the East Anglia University and the other in the US and the University of Pennsylvania. And this hacking of thousands of emails revealed that um, the sort of conspiracy theory was in fact real and that um, papers which disagreed were being um, rejected Editors of journals were threatened with uh, various um, scientific adjustments if they didn't follow the party line. This was a huge thing. And uh, in fact, the litigation from it is still going on um, with one of the two who both of them were um, involved in the International Panel for Climate Change. So you would have hoped that they were serious scientists and they syst systematically um, distorted, destroyed and undermined any alternative view to the established um uh, wisdom, and uh, even even now, I think you may have perhaps have heard of something called the hockey stick graph. Um, yes, I have. So this was uh, a very selective little section of recent history, which showed that the temperature had gone up, um, but with distorting the graph rather than putting the long-term picture, it was of no relevance whatsoever. And litigation still goes on to this day relating to this uh, episode, scandalous episode of scientific manipulation. I think that one of the most uh, divisive public figures on this was Al Gore. I think the 97% claim began with uh, a historian. Um, she's still around, talks. Her name is Naomi, I think it's Oreskes. Also, she took about roughly a 1,000 articles about climate change in scientific journals and claimed that 75% of those articles endorse the consensus that the Earth's climate is being affected by human activities. And Al Gore, in The Inconvenient Truth, uh, took that 75% and turned it into 100% <laughs> and said that it was a very, very serious issue. And that's really where... That was a great propaganda film by him. And let's remember, he's a, he's a political actor. But He doesn't worry about his own uh, carbon footprint, that's for sure. I think Barack Obama just purchased a $14 million estate on Martha Vineyard right on the water. But the interesting one for me was that they took 77 out of 
roughly 3,000 responses and they found a 97% consensus amongst 2% of the survey respondents and none of these experts said it was dangerous or urgent because they just didn't get asked that question. We don't know these people's names. They're sort of being used as um, a, a... A stalking horse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But do you know John Cook? No. So this guy, um, this is the main one that I spent time reading because this was in 2013, and I think it's one of the major ones that they turn to now. Um, but he basically claimed that he examined around 12,000 scientific papers relating to climate change and found that 97% endorsed the consensus view that greenhouse gases were at least partly responsible for global warming. And that was the study Obama's tweet was referring to. But two-thirds of the papers that Cook and his colleagues examined expressed no view at all on the consensus. Of the remaining 34%, the authors claim that 33% endorsed the consensus. And now you divide 33 by 34, and what do you get? 97%. 97%. So it's, it's nonsense. This was what went on with the uh, climate change debates, not only with the, um, um, as I was talking, the climate gate affair. And this was an international conspiracy uh, with the two main protagonists, and uh, the main centres in the US and UK distorting the um, information. And this is why if you tried to publish a, an article which went against the consensus, you were not likely to get published. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that the majority of the papers are going to be supporting this. Similarly, in um, the International Panel for Climate Change, which produces these vague sort of statements of dubious meaning. But when you actually look at the uh, scientific papers, the conclusion, the one-page conclusion, which is all that the media ever look at, is often totally at variance with the sort of scientific consensus as well. So uh, again, there's, there's an overarching sort of uh, message already there, and uh, uh, only, uh, there's only interest in, in supporting that message. And you mentioned uh, um, Al Gore, he's, and unfortunately, his film became part of the educational curriculum, certainly in the UK, and uh, it had to be shown, even the judiciary agreed that it was distorted, and it had to be shown with a warning, but it was still shown. And we now have a generation of children, now teachers, and now universities, um, <coughs> activists who um, have um, been totally brainwashed in this um, uh, perspective. Uh, of course, in our own country, in, in the UK, we have Prince Charles who talks to trees and things as an expert <laughs> on global warming. We have various sure rock is. stars and the like. In our own country, Tim Flannery, Flannery, the expert on wombats, who said that it was never going to rain again in Australia. That was um, certainly not true at the moment, anyhow. All these experts have, have views, and, and when you actually mine into the science, there's very little, well, there's a lot of controversy, that's the point I would make. And I think perhaps amongst my friends, probably the vast majority um, don't believe the story. And I think surveys have been done showing that between 20 and 30% of the population are doubtful. And yet when you um, look at somewhere like the ABC, there's there's no well, the question, Guardian's there's worse. no alternative view that's ever put forward. It's not an unbalanced reporting yet again that the ABC is supposed to fulfil. The Guardian's horrendous. And the conversation banned any papers or articles that 
as they called it, d denied climate change. There's a quote I just pulled up because you may have heard it. It's on the topic of um, what you were talking about before in terms of academics getting... I mean, and let's face it, really, statistics can, can prove anything. If I wanted to prove a, a, uh, um, a hypothesis, right, in an area that is grey like this, then I would give research grant money to the people that thought the same way I did. To, and, that, and, and it would prove my point. You get the answer that you want. That's, that's the way it works with politics and with all sorts of uh, issues in life, isn't it? It is. And, and there was this social scientist, um, I think he, uh, social psychologist, have you, Jose Duarte, um, and he, he's written critically about this. And I'll just read this quote because it's a, it's, a, it's a cracker. He said, and this is on the negative consequences of trying to claim this 97% consensus, uh, quote, it's ill-advised to report a consensus as though it is an aggregation of independent judgments. Humans are an ultra-social species and descent is far costlier than ascent to a perceived majority. A scientist who contests the prevailing narrative on human-caused warming or merely produces smaller estimates will likely end up on a McCarthyite blacklist of deniers Self-described mainstream cl climate scientists refer the public to such lists, implicitly endorsing the smearing of their colleagues. This is disturbing and unheard of in other sciences. And that last one's quite key, isn't it? it, it the whole uh, we trust, we believe in science, they, they don't. It's being undermined, isn't it? And from from the medical perspective, um, um, we used to try and get sort of um, a, a, a standard view for management of different conditions. So that would be a consensus. But when you actually looked at, say, uh, a dozen different views in managing a medical condition, you put them all together as a consensus statement. What you actually ended up with was a, was a, a mode of treatment of a condition that none of the participants would actually follow themselves. So what does consensus actually mean in, in, in actual facts as well? Of course, it's an ambiguous term. Who's consensus? Um, so the problem he, here now is that we have an incredibly uneducated public in terms of, of science. And look, I'll put my hand up. I'm, I'm not a scientist. I didn't study scientist. I read, I research, um, I talk to experts. That's the best I can do and try and make a, a reasoned judgment but just like black lives matter and now save the planet or climate change these platitudes are essentially um you know the propaganda's worked people are just parroting these these phrases so now the problem is they're demanding we shut down industries and in particular coal and this is just it's anarchy because there's no plan after they shut that down the millions or the in our case the thousands of jobs that would be lost that's children that may not get their school clothes that's people who may not get their medicine these people are out of control there's no concept of the consequences that's for sure and not only um would this country uh, become bankrupt rapidly and there would be no money to spend on all, all the wonderful welfare things that they particularly support um 
but um, the the world's economy would also be affected. We're a major supplier of coal to the world, and if we don't supply coal, uh, with, and we've seen what happens in China when they blocked our coal, then um, various of their coal-fired power stations shut down, and the China some of the Chinese froze. So there are consequences, and the question is. Um, Going back to the fundamentals, what is what does carbon dioxide actually do? And if you look at the physics of carbon dioxide, you will. Uh, my understanding is that um, it does cause some degree of global warming, and that degree of um, heat retention in the atmosphere primarily relates to low levels of carbon dioxide, uh, not the sort of levels that we've now steadily increased to. So, is that a factor? Um, we know that water vapour is the main uh, global warming gas and nobody actually knows whether this is a plus or minus. Does it stop the sun's light coming through or does it stop heat escaping? And um, this is blatantly obvious when you look at the um, various algorithms that the computer scientists use to predict future temperatures. And we've now got... Um, uh, 50 plus years of um, of experience of what happens with our climate, and we can see that the the computer algorithms don't actually predict what we know has already happened. So, how on earth are they going to predict what's going to happen in the future? So, there's a massive um, disconnect. Um, even if you assume that starting point, the science isn't there. And there are other things that, uh, to me, just defy logic as well. For example. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but that the, the temperature on the moon and on the planet Mars has also increased in recent years. And that certainly to me suggests there's a factor other than carbon dioxide involved. Uh, and we've um, fundamentally, we've been having a warming planet since the 1700s, um, long before carbon dioxide levels started going up. So again, how does that fit in with the science? What we do know is that um, increased carbon dioxide and temperatures make things grow better. It's a greenhouse effect. And this is part of the reason that world food production has gone up. And uh, if you look at satellite photography, you can see that areas of greening in arid areas like the Sahara Desert are actually increasing. So surprise, surprise, carbon dioxide is good plant food and the end result is some positive. And the other aspect of that is that they have no concept of industry, these people, because as you've, as you've mentioned, it's based on ideology, not on um, practicality. There's a massive R&D process involved in this. This is years before, um, before anything could... Be, we, could we could envisage a society that is... Um, ab that that does not use coal or or electricity. I mean, and it may not actually ever even be sustainable. But the amount of money and coal and oil and <laughs> that's going to be required in that R and D process is something that they have no clue about. These people um, are just, as I said, are anarchists. I don't think they're even coming up with these ideas themselves. It always, to, for me, it always comes back to the overarching theory: who, who's to, who's to benefit from this? I mean, one could hypothesise that, of course, China could benefit because they're not shutting down their industries. They can benefit tremendously, uh, and also the, the the big bankers, because they're going to start taxing the air we breathe.
Indeed, and uh, the you mentioned the sort of uh, Chinese, and uh, you can add in the Indian industry, which has benefited from many European in, and uh, Western countries shutting down their uh, manufacturing in the interests of um, reducing carbon dioxide. All we've actually done is export jobs, and as we've exported coal, and um, carbon dioxide levels have increased in the worldwide terms. We can feel good, but the world's no different if you believe that's important then it's a waste of time and lately um, uh, we Australia had one of the cheapest electricity uh, prices in in the world um, in in recent times and then we had a huge surging cost because of um, um, subsidies to renewables uh, and this put the nail in a lot of manufacturing which went to other countries where they use coal to produce their goods instead and now we've um, wound it back now we spent massive amounts of money on rejigging our um, electricity supply to cope with things like solar and wind uh, our electricity prices are going down and other countries like um, Germany which have belatedly gone on to the green path Germany now has the most expensive electricity in the world because of their uh, treading that path and the question is what is it actually achieving well what is it achieving not a lot. <laughs> certainly, certainly not in worldwide terms. And if, if I could just um, uh, a little bit of history of global warming, because I think, sure. as I said, it's it's fascinating. Um, in the last three millennia, we've had three warming periods. We had the Minoan warming period, the Roman warming period, and the medieval warming period. So approximately 3,000, 2,000, and 1,000 years ago. Now, each of those episodes was associated with a warmer climate. Um, better crop production, so food, time of plenty, education boomed in the Roman period and the medieval period, for example. And between those episodes, we had extremely cold periods. Uh, we had the dark ages in the uh, early, first, uh, early first millennium, and then we had the mini ice age in, 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 <coughs> after the medieval period. In both those situations, starvation took place, disease took place, um, wars broke out, uh, and this was because of cold. Uh, and um, so um, far more people historically have died from cold exposure than have ever died from heat exposure, that's for sure. I want to put something to you um, just before we move on to talk about nuclear power and uh, why that hasn't been used and perhaps why it, it should be used, and of course then some of the potential problems with it and uh, than the advantages of it, but I know that you're you're a very balanced, sensible man, so you may not follow me too far on this theory. But I can't help but think that Black Lives Matter, COVID, mainly the masks and the shutdowns, uh, global warming, climate change, and now this radical feminism. Who is going to be harmed by this? The West. Who's behind it? It has to be China. I feel like we're in the middle of a very, very sophisticated modern attack on the West, the likes of which we've never seen. And when I say sophisticated, it's using so many different, so many different ways to subvert the values and the, the beauty and everything that we hold dear about, about the West. I, I can see the common ground between them. 
and, and already you can see some signs in this country with as the uh, pandemic sort of fades and becomes less uh, panic driven, um, the premiers of several states are reluctant to hand back the emergency powers that they've been given. And, and you can see a more author authoritarian approach uh, taking place. And that's just one sign we discussed with um, uh, the media conversation about how um, <clears throat> views which disagree, disagree with the orthodoxy are suppressed. Um, we've, we've seen it in, in education, the way that the Western culture and history is being progressively undermined. Uh, we see it in our society with um, marriage as an institution falling to pieces, um, religion being regularly decried, although um, Christianity is the basis for our way of life. Uh, and there are so many aspects which you put together and you think, is this all part of a an attempt to undermine the society that we have. And I think you're right, certainly that's an avowed um, philosophy with the Black, Black Lives Matter fraternity. Their, their philosophy is to destroy, destroy Western society. And there's a lot of evidence that it's going on. And that I think we, we discussed briefly that there's something called the reset going to make the world a better place. And it's, it's sort of fundamentally a sort of glorious socialist approach where um, uh, everybody takes out of the pot, but nobody puts in. And uh, Margaret Thatcher's uh, wonderful line, um, uh, it's, it's all very well being a socialist, but eventually you run out of other people's money. And that's mm -hmm. eventually what happens. Somebody has to contribute for somebody to take out. And um, that's not happening so much anymore. And Lenin said you can't have communism without socialism. It's the... Um concept to bring people to the point of having a complete reliance and trust in government as being daddy and being able to help them. The attacks on our institutions um, in terms of the media attacks on the church and on um, our legal systems. Fundamental structures. Fundamental structures. People are getting angry at these and blaming these and they're saying, well, what's the alternative? Without realising that our legal systems are the most merciful in the world, um, up there with the most merciful in the world. Of course, they make mistakes, but anything that has essentially derived from Christendom is by far the best thing that we have in the world. Do we want to live in China? No. In the Middle East? I doubt it. So the tricky thing here is that it's almost like the West is being sacked by its own people because the propaganda is so uh, ubiquitous and so compelling that people believe that the West is this horrible place and we need to we need an alternative, and and that's a dangerous thing. That's that's a question that that's really there's no answer to that question, and um, uh, you you look at the idealistic sort of view of um, communism from each according to his ability to each according to his need. That sounds all lovey-dovey stuff, but uh, I remember a more um, appropriate phrase that was thrown around when um, East Germany uh, joined uh, West Germany, the Union, and their comment was, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. So, Well, I actually don't think it is communism. I think it's, a, a high, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but I think it's a very highly um, evolved form of communism in the terms of, well, let's say socialism. Um, I think that as we saw in the 
early 1900s, the very wealthy industrialists in America were rabid socialists. Yeah. Uh, these are the, the very few who, who believed that perhaps it was their providence to know what's best for the world. Um, and after World War II, the mechanisms for that dream or that realisation started to be put in place. You have the UN, the World Bank, all these big um, Orwellian kind of institutions that are replacing things. I think that that's the end goal. And I worry that they've now set up these global institutions to try and realise that dream. And it seems like it's happening quite quickly now. It's, um, it's looking seriously like the end of democracy, isn't it? Uh, the, the concept of one man, one vote is going to become irrelevant because those in the, well, I suppose it's sort of going through a full circle. If you, if you go back to, say, maybe um, medieval times when the lord of the manor was the ultimate power and uh, dictated what would happen, maybe the, <clears throat> the average uh, one man, one vote sort of philosophy is going to fade out as well. Who knows? Okay, let's move on to nuclear. Um, Australia is the only G20 nation uh, with a ban on, on nuclear. Why is that? Because they're daft, basically. Uh, the the, um, the sort of fear-mongering that um, was still left over from the Second World War, um, I think we've had a little brief discussion, but we know that nuclear bombs are, 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 can ruin your weekend. And uh, the only two cases where they were dropped um, in in the Second World War in Japan, they caused massive loss of life. But the concern really relates to radiation. Everybody is concerned about um, strange rays that are going to cause cancer or make your hair fall out or give you rashes or something. And the, the reality is that 95% of those people who died in the two bombing episodes uh, died from the heat and the blast of the bomb going off. Uh, a small percentage died from gamma radiation in the subsequent weeks and months and years, but there are now two thriving cities there with um, large healthy populations mm. and long-term follow-up has shown no radiation related increase in disease so that's the sort of philosophy and then we had um, uh, a very minor outbreak in in the u.s at three mile island chernobyl um was a more, more significant um nuclear meltdown in the in the power station and i think that's supposed to have caused about 50 deaths um from the radiation and uh, avoidable, um, some avoidable cancers in, in young children. And then we had the most recent event uh, in Fukushima, which was due to an earthquake. Mm. Uh, and 20,000 people died from the um, tidal wave and a handful died from radiation. So all this sort of um, terror about radiation went totally out of hand. And for a country which has um, massive deposits of uranium, it was obviously um, totally daft to um, uh, dig it out of the ground and export it, but not use it yourself. And that's now over 30 odd years of um, moratorium. And sadly, had we um, not made that decision in 1989, I'm sure Australia would be a leader in nuclear um, research, not only with uranium, which has been the main uh, 
isotope used in energy production, but thorium, which is a, another much less hazardous um, source of energy as well. Which Australia has, as you wrote, we have um, around 20% of the world's... Yeah, plenty of that as well. So okay. there, are, wow. there are experimental reactors using thorium, which cannot go critical. It can't melt down. It can't um, be used to make bombs. Mm. It actually can use waste products from uh, uranium uh, nuclear power stations as part of the process. And its end product has a much shorter half-life in terms of radiation. So all good things. But no, we, 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 we decided that we were all going to glow in the dark and um, and so we banned it and the only residual um, nuclear facility this country has is at Lucas Heights uh, and that produces um, uh, isotopes for treatment and diagnosis in medicine so there's a huge missed opportunity that's occurred there there's a lot of money being made in electricity Australian electricity prices have gone through the roof and continually go through the roof and for a country that as you said has such a large abundance of thorium. Well, we have Surely coal, we have, coal, coal, we of have course. uranium, we have thorium, but we all have these things which could have produced cheap electricity for us. But we don't have cheap electricity because we have there's a, there's a monopoly on power really in this country, just like Woolworths well, and I, coal. I think there's, right? there's also been a a huge problem with the explosion in in solar. Uh, electricity generation. Um, I mean, Australia has the highest uh, rate of penetration of solar in the world for obvious reasons. We've got plenty of sunshine. When you have to reconfigure an electricity system to allow for power going in both directions and sudden surges of overload in particular situations, it, 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 it has produced a significant extra expense in the actual connection of the electricity supplies. I agree with you that there, there is not enough competition, but that is also a factor which has pushed up the cost of supply of um, supposedly cheap, although why is it still subsidised? That's the question. Um, if it's apparently now can compete with um, other sources of energy, we still have to have subsidised solar energy. So what does a, in your opinion, an efficient, ethical and well-managed uh, electricity system in this power system in this country for end users being its citizens look like? Uh, quite frankly, um, if we had uh, um, coal and there were um, methods to satisfy the activists with um, carbon capture, then that would be the cheapest method of all of uh, supplying our electricity. That apart, nuclear is the obvious choice, but we've now been out of the game for so long that there's no expertise left anymore. And it would, I think it would take 15 years to get nuclear re-established as an option in this country. That's even if it was approved. And unless both sides of politics approve, I don't think that's going to happen because nobody's got the balls to do it. Mm. But but the, the modern um, nuclear power stations are much, much safer. Stage three and four generators are very safe. And I think we've had a little mention of small modular reactors, which are uh, simple um, kit set, if you like, um, reactors that can be put together on site and can supply the needs perfectly for Australia with its widespread population. So those areas of uh, 20,000 people or 10,000 people out in the middle of nowhere don't need power lines to connect them. They just need their own little uh, <coughs> nuclear power station to... Um, provide the energy that they need. 
the other um, point I make about nuclear is is that it it has flexibility of supply, so that uh, the supply can go up or down as the um, market requires. Uh, and gas can do that, but coal, of course, it can't. It takes a long time to wind it up and down. Gas can be switched on and off, and nuclear can be turned up and down. So, in these situations where you have significantly fluctuating electricity supply, it's a hot sunny day with a big wind going and then there's no need and then as we've seen just most laughably in in texas in the u.s where um it snows and is very cold and your solar panels are covered with snow and your your wind turbines freeze because frozen. the oil in them is mm. frozen then then you it's need the instant backup yeah and that's what nuclear can provide all the time um there, there are discussions about the relative costs of different sources of power and the numbers can be fiddled and depending on what you want to put in and leave out to make one cheaper than the other uh, but in terms if we we are well down the path of um, solar and wind now but we still need this big backup situation when that's really not being addressed there are some interesting things coming along, though. We haven't really talked about um, other possible aspects apart from solar and wind. We're coming up to the 45-minute mark. We will continue this, but I'll let you um, wrap it all up and give me your um, your final thoughts, please, Doctor, on, on, on what we've been talking about today and maybe some potential uh, questions that my listeners can start asking themselves. I think for the future, the question is, um, uh, apart from whether we believe or don't believe in in the uh, theory of global warming, that's the um, path which we are well and truly on now. So um, I think we have to um, accept that that's the the way the die is cast. But we need to consider um, backup therapy, backup energy surprise, and uh, I think. Uh, at the moment, the only thing that we have available in this country is gas, uh, which we haven't discussed, but gas is here in abundance like everything else, and glass exploration and extraction needs to be the priority to keep us going for the next 20 years until the next generation of renewable energy comes along. Graham, always a pleasure. Uh, can you join us on the show next Friday again? Indeed. Fantastic. It's coming up to uh, 11.57 in Queensland, 12.57 down south. You're listening to Inside Out. My guest uh, has been Graham Pinn, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Bye now.